0: Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kioki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com slash events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. All right, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming together tonight for some practice time. I have to tell you that I was a little while ago not in the mood for this. (laughs) I got very irritated earlier in the day and it escalated and anger started rising in me and I kept getting more and more angry. And pretty soon I was walking around muttering to myself and complaining about everyone who was bothering me, which was everyone. I was calling everyone names in my head. (laughs) And relatively quickly, although not as quickly as I would have liked, that started changing. Um, (laughs) And it's funny how anger... Uh, you know, I, I realize for myself that I used to live that way all the time. If you asked anybody who knew me, they wouldn't have said so, because I, I guess I didn't come off that way. But I used to always sort of view the world in a, you know, in a sort of irritated, angry way many, many years ago. And, and the Dharma really helped me with that. And when I get angry nowadays, which is very rare... Um, it makes me realize how much that has changed. But anyhow, I was trying to come up with tonight's topic in the middle of being angry, (laughs) and that was not a good idea. And I started to write a talk, which I titled Saint Anger. And because, you know, Saint Anger, the worst Metallica album ever, always makes me more angry. Uh, And so I was going to call it Saint Anger. And then I realized that I had already done that. I had already written a talk a while ago in my local sangha called Saint Anger. So I couldn't reuse that one. (laughs) And that made me more angry. And I was sort of ranting and complaining to people. And and in the middle of all of that anger and hostility, the the disgust and the foul mood, I sort of flipped a switch. Uh, Not the right switch, but a switch. I flipped the switch from anger to apathy. I went from being angry because I cared too much, which is a way of saying I was clinging to what I felt was right. So, you know, I was very passionate because I believe it was right. And I went from that in the blink of an eye to something, in my opinion, that's just as bad or maybe even worse, which is apathy. I found myself suddenly having zero Fs to give, you know. And for me, that's worse, at least sometimes, because when you're angry for the right reasons, then at least you know you're trying to do something right, even if you're going about it poorly. But for me, when I, when I lose compassion, when I get to that point of not caring, that's even worse for me, because I think that when we don't care, we can make grave mistakes, terrible mistakes. I could even... Uh, allow harm to occur knowingly when I don't care. Because if I don't care, who cares, right? Because if I've reached a point of not caring, when you're apathetic, you don't have a moral or ethical compass so much. At least when you're angry, you care about something, even if it may be the wrong thing. But when you don't care at all, then you find yourself thinking things like, uh, okay, well, that's on you. You know, Go ahead and make that choice if you want to. And instead of preventing harm when you know it's going to happen, even when someone is inflicting that harm on themselves, and I don't mean physically, but just like making bad choices, then when you're apathetic, you just stand there and let them do it. And you just say, so what? Who cares? If you don't care, I'm not going to care. And that's a difficult space to find yourself in sitting there blankly, not caring, singing anti-Nowhere League songs, and changing the name of your Dharma talk from Saint Anger to So What, Who Cares? (laughs) Luckily, which also, by the way, was covered by Metallica. (laughs) But luckily, the lyrics to that song are so horribly inappropriate that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to share them here with you. And they don't apply to anything in this talk, really. It was just the song that was... (laughs) my expression at the time. So I won't subject you to the lyrics as I often do, but that was the mood that I was in today. And then slowly I started using my practice and I worked with all of that. And I thought maybe you might want to see how that can benefit you as well. Assuming I'm not the only one who's ever gotten angry or apathetic. And then as I slowly started working with that and letting go of anger, and apathy receded, making room for, if not exactly joy, at least compassion, then, you know, that started feeling better. And then, before you know it, I changed the name of my talk again from So What, Who Cares to Apathetics Anonymous. I used to work for a band in my youth, and the band was called Apathy. And our fan club, we called it Apathetics Anonymous. And I thought, Letting go of apathy and anger and moving into compassion is exactly what Apathetics Anonymous, if it were a group, a support group, it's exactly what they would want you to do. (laughs) So if it was a support group instead of a fan club for a band, that's, you know, that's what they'd want you to do. So anyhow, this is exactly, you know, what I was going through today and it was, and it's really important stuff. Uh, This highlights, that we all go through it, you know, and it's important to overcome because it can leave a trail of destruction in your life and in your relationships. Anger and apathy are, are normal, everyday experiences for us humankind. They're universal. And understanding, which is what Thich Nhat Hanh said that love is, love is understanding, is the only way to overcome it. And the Dharma helps with this, as it does with all things, by recommending that we first bring ourselves into peace. First, quiet our own situation down a little bit. Just enough so that we can recognize what's going on with our bodies and with our minds, at least. Sit with it, reflect on it. And this is where the practice of RAIN becomes so useful, this wonderful practice... um, called rain, which you've probably all done here at some point. It's recognizing what ha- what's happening and then allowing it to happen without pushing at it or pulling on it and uh, you know being judgment free with all of that and then investigating it a bit once we're able, slowly gently walking into that which is different from engaging it. It's being with the feelings, but not being in the feelings, so to speak. And it's asking and listening. What is this? Why is this? What does this need from me right now? What's the most generous thing I can do for this feeling right now? And then doing that investigation, to whatever extent we're able... For as long as we're able or as long as we need to. And then when we need to, when we're ready to, moving into non-identification with that. If we're able to see that investigation all the way through, you know, recognize, allow, and investigate. If we're able to investigate all the way through, then the non-identifying part, the in and rain, just sort of unfolds naturally out of that. Identification happens when we're confused. Uh, if we're able to investigate and no longer be confused, then as that confusion unwinds, it you know sort of lets go of everything and identifying it is with it is part of that. And it just kind of unbinds naturally from that. Only if we don't make it through that, then then we have to sort of manually make the effort to practice with the idea that the situation is not who we are, that it's just where we are. We practice with these emotions of anger and aggravation, irritation, by watching the arising of attachments to ideas or outcomes, expectations and misunderstandings of reality. And that misunderstanding is what the Buddha called dukkha, or suffering or dissatisfaction. The Buddha gave us an incredible framework of the Four Noble Truths. He said, first, to uh, you know recognize the problem, recognize that suffering or dissatisfaction is a normal part of our lives, and it's inherent to being human. And the second Noble Truth is finding the, the root cause of that dukkha, of that suffering. Not the surface level, not the, I'm angry at that person, But seeing what's below that anger. I'm angry at that person because they disagree with me. Okay. Because they don't care about what's right. Okay. Or better. Or smarter. Or they don't agree with me and my point of view. Whatever it is. Okay. And then seeing that we continue. Oh, okay. I'm not actually mad because they don't agree with me. I'm mad because when they disagree with me, it feels like they don't care about me. And then still not stopping with that, but pushing forward, not stopping there and being satisfied, but digging deeper, pushing forward, investigating, why does it make me angry to feel uncared for? Oh, well, I remember that time this happened or that happened and I felt seen, I felt unseen, I felt unheard and unrespected or disrespected and so on. So the Buddha gave us a very real and useful way of working through these things and getting down to that root cause. And then he gave us the rest of it, which is realizing that once we know that, we know there's a way out of that. And so on. The way out being the Eightfold Path. And he gave us this framework, and trust me, I put it to the test. I spend a good bit of time Every day working on these things. And and today, when I was experiencing anger, I put it to the test again. Investigating. But before I could investigate, I had to reach a point where I could investigate. I had to catch myself in the grip of anger, in the grip of apathy. Before I could finally see, oh, I need to address this. Now Now that I see it, I can. So it took me a little while to recognize today, which is unusual for me. It took me a little while to recognize and go, oh, this is not right. Something's wrong here. I need to let go of this. And we have to, because of the impact of anger, it's devastating and destructive in our lives, in our happiness, in our relationships. Once I was able to recognize it, I was able to see how anger and aggravation affected my mind. My mental state, my well-being, my mood, my body, and then... My relationships with everybody around me, people I come into contact with, the the people that were on the unlucky side of it that I came into contact with, they get anger, hostility, the people that are on my side, so to speak, they have to listen to me complain about it. <laughs> so, and I was able to start seeing what was causing it, at least the surface level, immediate stuff, the trigger, I guess you could say. And there's so many ways in which that happens for all of us. It can be nearly anything. Maybe someone, you know, misgenders you, calls you by the wrong pronouns and you react in anger. Or maybe someone is emotional, is an emotional vampire and they're constantly sucking the energy out of people and you just don't have any more energy to give. So you lash out when they start draining you of one more time of all your energy. Or maybe someone... Lives a certain lifestyle that you disagree with, or has a certain political opinion that you disagree with. Maybe you just think you don't like them, but that dislike causes you to always look for trouble with that person. And when you look for trouble, that's what you find. So maybe that person is just over there living their best life in ways that you don't agree with, minding their own business. And then You're over here stewing about all the ways they rub you wrong, so you find some little thing that you can latch on to and complain about. And your anger and aggravation shows up for you as nitpicking and harassing. Bullying, basically. Maybe you spent hours working on something for someone and they dismiss your effort, your time, your energy like it's nothing. I could go on with examples like this for hours because we all know them. These are all things that some or all of us have experienced, different ones for different folks, you know. There's so many little ways that we get irritated and aggravated and angry and all of those, all of those things come down to one thing. Not feeling seen or heard. Not feeling valued. Wanting things to be other than they are. And that is exactly the second noble truth. That there is a root cause for our suffering and that that cause, ultimately, when you dig all the way to the bottom and you get to the final root cause, the root cause of our suffering is wanting things to be different than they are. Either wanting them to stay the way they are and they're not or wanting them to be different than they are, and, you know, they aren't changing fast enough for us. And then not only have you found the root cause, but if you follow that root cause digging that you did, if you dug all the way down to the root cause, if you turn around and follow that back out the way you came, from the root cause all the way back to the thing that triggered you today, you find the meaning of karma the causes that created the conditions. And that's the real magic sauce. Because once you know the road in, you're able to turn around and see the road out. And once you know how to navigate the road out, you know how to navigate the road you want to take ahead. So by getting to the root cause of the suffering... We know how to get back out again, and we know how to go in the right direction when we do. By understanding the causes of your conditions, you know how to create the causes for better conditions. And we go, ah, that's what made me feel that way. If I just make sure I'm setting proper boundaries and living the proper ethical standards that I hold to myself if I'm practicing the things that lead the other direction toward lasting happiness, instead of toward pain, sorrow, lamentation, and greed, as the Buddha said, then I can see to it that I don't find myself suffering from the same thing again in the future. And I guess this is where I have to give the obligatory disclaimer. It's not a one and done thing. You don't solve one of these matters and poof, you never suffer again. It's a slow, slight, laborious process, one which you have to cultivate you can't plant a seed and then expect it to grow to fruition overnight, you have to come back and tend to it day after day again and again, with diligence and ardency, and it's a slow process that you can't speed up the only way you can sort of speed it up is you can do the best you can for it And that's what has to do with like ethical living, you know, living by precepts and, and, you know, not lying, not stealing, not killing, those kinds of things, you know, not doing the things that cloud the mind and make you more likely to do those things. That's the ethical part of it that makes it as fast as it can make it. Karma is how those reactive behavior patterns got there and karma is how you will undo them. Those negative patterns didn't happen overnight, and they won't resolve themselves overnight. I will say, though, that there is sometimes that glorious moment where you've kind of flipped that breaker switch a million times. Every time you got triggered, you tripped that breaker and you had to flip it back. And one day, maybe you flip it for the last time and it never goes off again and you never have to flip it again for that particular little thing, whatever it is. And if you're really lucky, you're aware of that when it happens. And if you're lucky, it happens in this lifetime and and, uh, for some of these things. But suddenly one day you've made peace with whatever that one thing is, forgiving that one person you thought you could never forgive or forgiving yourself for something you thought you could never forgive yourself for. And you've made peace with it and it never triggers you again. And that is liberation. Now just do it again with all the other things in your life and you'll be good to go. (laughs) Mindful awareness is a tool that lets us recognize these things. The early signs of stress, of anger and aggravation before it ignites into the fire of passion before we find ourselves ranting to our friend about the stupid situation of so on, so-and-so, and blah, 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 you know. If we can do one thing really well, cultivate a regular practice of mindfulness, then just doing that one thing helps us stay in, at least more often than not, a mindful state of awareness. And then we can catch these things earlier and prevent those forest fires. Smokey the Buddha Bear taught me that when I was a kid. Only you can prevent forest fires. I learned something all those Saturdays. I sat there watching cartoons in front of the TV. When we're able to see these things in our experience, in meditation, when we get this far in and we start being able to sit and see the things come up and how they make us feel, the Buddha said to do so non-judgmentally. Now, we say that all the time, but how do we not judge it? Well, the Buddha gave us tools for that as well. Lots of them, actually. But the most common was to recognize, as you're holding it in your awareness, to recognize that these things that we get so twisted up about, so triggered by, all high and mighty, all angry and apathetic about, all self-righteous and on our soapbox about, he said, take these moments of awareness To really examine those things. And you'll see, if you examine them deeply enough, long enough, you'll see that those things that you're so triggered about are not perfect. They're not permanent. And they're not personal. Uh, You know, dukkha, anicca, and anatta. And uh, as such, you know, reacting to them in those ways we normally do you, you come to realize that that's wasteful. There's just steps along the path toward more suffering. Whereas when we recognize, oh, it's not perfect. It's inherently imperfect. That's not permanent. It's inherently going to change on its own eventually. Oh, it's, it's not me. Because heck, I'm not even me. <laughs> I'm getting all worked up about things that aren't going to last including me (laughs) and they aren't going to ever be perfect and they aren't even about me. And then it becomes much easier to just let them go. When we go from screaming, angry, apathetic lyrics of so what, who cares to, Oh, that's what I care. I care about my mental state. I care about my happiness. And I can tell you, too, that almost all of those things that trigger us can be uh, well improved upon by practicing tolerance. We need tolerance in this world right now more than we ever have, I think. And I think some of the most intolerant people would tell you that they're very tolerant. They would say, oh, I'm tolerant. I tolerate. I am very tolerant. And they don't see their blind spots, you know. Sometimes we want people to just bend to our will. When sometimes what we need to do is relax our will. We think it's easy to just solve a problem by just making somebody else do or be something we want them to do or be. But really, that's not only dangerous, because when we impose our will on others, it almost never goes well. Our country is experiencing this in hyperspeed right now. It's everywhere we look. and And it's really tolerance is what we need to buy us the time to find that mindful awareness, to work with all these issues within ourselves instead of imposing our wills on other people. When we try to force others to live our way, to love our way, to be our way, we end up with the hot flipping mess (laughs) that we're in right now in this world and in this country, especially poignant in America today on this anniversary of one of the most important legal decisions in our country, which has been, you know, is been threatened every day since that anniversary. (laughs) at a time when we're trying to force people to be what we want them to be or love who we want them to love or go by the names or pronouns we want them to go by or live their lives the way we want them to live their lives, you know, just as I described earlier, if we find the root of those problems and we work our way back, we will know the road ahead. And it is not to keep bending people to our will. All right, so let's hold all of that in our minds and meditate a little bit. Let it let it rest there. Let it rattle around there a little bit. <laughs> and we'll work with some of this. We'll meditate on turning water into wine. or in this case, the much easier task of turning anger into love or apathy into compassion. You start by settling in, letting go into whatever posture you want to maintain for another 15 minutes or so. relaxed and comfortable, but not you know, so relaxed that you're not uh, mindfully aware. If you like, you can allow your eyes to close. You can take a few deep breaths with longer, slower exhales. And when I say that, anytime I say that, uh, you know, the deep breath and the long, slow exhale is relative to you. So take the deepest breath that you're comfortable taking and the longest, slowest exhale that you're comfortable taking. Not everybody has the same capacity. So do what you can, what's good for you. Allow yourself to settle into this moment. It would be, it would be quite against. This is why I don't get wrapped up in postures and stuff like that, because it, to me it's quite against the idea of everything that I just said tonight if I were to tell you, you must sit a certain way in order to, (laughs) you must breathe a certain way, you know, just allow yourself to be, feel the weight of your body on its, on its resting bones, you know, whatever, however you're seated. If you're seated in some sort of a meditation, lotus posture or something like that, or if you're, Seated as I am, just in a sitting posture, in a chair type of way. Just feeling the weight of your body on those bones. Grounding into this physical space. Feel the bottoms of your feet, if they're touching the ground, or whatever is touching the ground. Feel that what does it feel like where how does it feel to have those parts of the body touching the earth beneath you whether that be a hardwood floor or you know actual earth or whatever it is getting out of the mind and just coming into the body it's the first way to break that cycle of anger whatever it may be, any mind trap that you're stuck in, getting out of the mind and into the physical feeling of the body, grounded to the earth. And also just being aware that from all over the globe, wherever we are, in whatever country we are, whatever city we are, all of us are connected through that connection to the earth. We're all all sitting on the same rock, Hurtling through space. And as you continue breathing, you know, bring to mind some recent moment where you felt some sort of anger or aggravation. And see if you can notice you know, where this emotion sits in your body. Where does it feel like? Where do you feel anger when you Relive that moment. Where does that anger show up? Heat in the face or chest? Constriction somewhere? Clenching the fists or furrowing the brow? Clenching the jaw? That's a lot of times what I do. I'm rarely ever quiet, so... People who know me well know that the quieter I get, the more likely I am that I'm angry. (laughs) It's not for sure, but (laughs) the less I'm talking, the more likely I am to be ruminating about something. just noticing where you feel it is it in your chest or your fists or your jaw wherever you feel it wherever it is and whatever it shows up in your body as notice that you know when you look at that it's not permanent it's not personal and it's not perfect when We say that that's like a modern way of saying it. But the dukkha, the, the Buddha, the dukkha, the Buddha said that dukkha, anicca, and anatta were the three things that identify the problems of the world. Dukkha, suffering, okay, if it causes us suffering, then it's not lasting happiness. It's relative reality, not absolute reality, if it's able to cause us suffering. So that right away you get this ray of hope going, oh, okay. That's not it. And it's not me because I'm not a me. I'm, you know, there's nothing in our experience that is permanent and fixed. that's the anatta the not self and the anicca part is the uh impermanence it's not going to last forever this feeling came and it's going to go because it came it's going to go that's the whole meaning of impermanence is uh, uh everything is conditioned meaning it conditions brought it into being, and everything that can come together can come apart. You can imagine the anger is like a wave in the ocean. It's powerful, big tsunami wave, but it's also going to go back to being just ocean. It rises, it peaks. And it naturally falls away. Just as quickly as it came, it goes. And the antidote to anger that the Buddha taught was love metta, loving kindness. With that image of the wave, you can begin sending some loving kindness to yourself in waves may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live with ease. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, And may I live with ease. And those are just the traditional phrases. You can use whatever phrases work for you to inspire kindness and love. It could just be the words kindness and love. It could just be a feeling. Whatever it is, send it to yourself. Feel what it's like, just like you felt what it was like to feel the anger. Feel what it's like to feel love and to feel kindness. To receive those wishes from yourself to yourself. May I be safe. May I be happy i be healthy and live with ease. And you can practice that anytime in your practice. You can go as long as you like on that. And for most of us, it's a very slow practice, and that's probably for the best. You can visualize it as a warm, gentle light that soothes the area where you had the anger. You can allow it to transform the energy of that anger, changing it into compassion and understanding. The antidote. The Buddha often described himself as a doctor prescribing a cure. Giving you the antidote to the sickness. And whenever you're ready, you can let go of the anger feeling and the working with the anger and you can allow apathy to come in. Some people sometimes I think are less aware of apathy it, in in the Buddhist framework it would be like delusion we have greed hatred and delusion uh, Anger would be hatred delusion is just sort of ign- ignorance you know ignorant of it ignoring it not being tuned into it so disconnected or apathetic. And observe the feeling of that without trying to change it, without trying to push it or pull it or avoid it. Where does it show up in your body? There's a dullness in the heart, a numbness in the limbs, in the mind. And recognize that it is also just another wave. It rises up and it passes away. It's not permanent. It's not personal. It's not perfect. Which means it's not going to continue to be a problem. And you can bring compassion to bear on it. May I find connection. May I feel joy. May I be filled with warmth and compassion. You can think of it as like a soothing rainfall on that heat. Cooling things down, nourishing and reviving the dry, dull areas of your heart and mind affected by apathy. And you can send those feelings, those thoughts, well wishes, prayers, whatever they are, uh, to other beings as well, to the neutral person in your life, somebody you don't really know. You can send it to a benefactor. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy and may you live with ease. You can send it to uh, a difficult person. And then ultimately to all beings. You can practice this for as long as you like. In the early years of my practice, I spent a year doing nothing but metta practice. Every time I meditated, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. I know people that that's their only practice they do. These are just tools to use as you need them. As as the Buddha said, they're the antidote. So if the the, uh, symptom is anger, the antidote is love. If the symptom is pain and suffering, then the antidote is compassion. If the symptom is sadness and sorrow, then the antidote is joy. If you practice all three of them, then equanimity and balance comes out of all of those naturally. I don't often practice metta or any of the heart practices as guided meditations in here because to me they're very long practices. It's something you need to do for you know 30, 40 minutes an hour at a time because you're you're building on it, you know, and you're you're radiating it outward in all directions. So I hope you'll take these Practices and do them on your own for longer. You're still here? It's over. Go practice. Go.